It's happy hour again from Uptown New Orleans. Hello, I'm Grant Morris. Happy hour is part of the family of shows on the podcast network. It's NewOrleans.com. When you walk into a bar in New Orleans and you pull up a bar stool, you can keep going under this if you like. Yeah, fine. Uh, You never know who's going to be sitting next to you. What you do know is no matter what they look like, what they're wearing, whether they just got a limousine or just got out of jail, they're going to be happy to talk to you because that's New Orleans and this is Happy Hour, a cocktail-fueled 60 minutes of random conversation with folks who have nothing in common. Other than we're all New Orleans in a bar today, we're at the fabulous Wayfair on Ferret Street. And Wayfair, yes, it's still summer here in New Orleans. It's the endless summer, the summer that will never end. So you can still come down here for happy hour and get not your mama's frosé, the perfect summer drink, frozen cocktail made with dry rosé, vodka, St. Germain, Peychaud's bitters, lemon juice, and a house-made strawberry basil syrup. And they have a three-hour happy hour here every day at Wayfair, which is a couple of blocks down from Napoleon Avenue on uh, Ferret Street. Josh Sarkman is playing the uh, theme song today. What is it called, Josh? It's, uh, it's called the David Torkinowski Radio Hour theme song. Okay. Does David Torkinowski own the copyright to this? I don't know. <laughs> We're going to find chords. out. We're <laughs> yeah. going to find out. It's, I love it, though. I love it's David nice. Yeah. He won't mind if we just use his stuff, really, I don't yeah. think. And Josh Flatter. is here today with, with Surreal M.A. Surreal, it's so nice to meet you and to have you here. Nice to meet you, Grant. Once in a while, we inadvertently have sort of like a superstar happy hour here without intending to. <laughs> I have no idea what you're doing living in New Orleans, but I'm so excited that you are here. I'm excited to be living here. How long have you been here? Two years. Two years already? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, that's gone quickly. Yeah. In case nobody knows who you are, do a lot of people know who you are? Are you famous here? Here? Yeah. I mean, I'm jazz famous. Jazz famous, <laughs> right. That's, I don't know if people know how famous you are. This is what the Wall Street Journal said, that you were one of the most promising jazz singers of, of her generation. And the New York Times called you a rising star in the galaxy of jazz singers. The galaxy. The galaxy. <laughs> the universe. So it's pretty amazing that you are here. We'll get on to what, why did you move here exactly? Uh, a big part of it is Josh, actually. Really? You're yeah. in love with Josh? No. No. No, it's not romantic. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Oh, well, that's... Sisterly. <laughs> um, I came, I came uh, visited New Orleans for the first time with some friends a, a few years ago. And we were here three days, and the person we were supposed to stay at had a last-minute gig. So they were like, oh, I'm so sorry. Um, I can't host you, but my friend Josh Starkman, he can probably host you. And so me and my two buddies, we stayed at Josh's house. He didn't know any of us. And for three days, he took us everywhere. He showed us everything in the city. He took us to morning call at 2 a.m. He took us to the singing tree. Uh, We sat in with him at Maison. And I was like, are people like you here? (laughs) Because if they are, I'm moving here. So that's what did it. And have you discovered that there are a lot of people like Josh, or is he the exception? He's an exception for sure. But now you realize you made a huge mistake. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I just, I fell in love with the people here. People are so generous with their time and their their house and their, their feelings. Their, it's, I was living in New York before this, so it's right. a big difference. Well, thank God you're here. Yeah. Good. It's great to have you. Gia Hamilton is also here. Yes. Hi, Gia. Hello. This is the this is the rest of the Superstar Day. Gia is the executive director and chief curator of the New Orleans African American Museum. That's right. Among other things. Newly reopened. Yeah. As of April this year. Just April this year, 2019. Yes. And what was it doing before then? It was wrecked by Hurricane Katrina, basically. It was sitting for six years, almost three acres of property in the middle of Treme, historic Treme. So 
you know how buildings do here, right? The, the environment and the elements begin to take over the buildings. So we uh, started the renovation process in January and reopened one of our buildings in April. So it's been really exciting. That's very un-New Orleans-like, completely. Very un-New Orleans-like, exactly. Wasn't the same guys that were building the Hard Rock Hotel, did it? No, thank goodness. <laughs> it is just as well. Oh, hell. Shout out to Restoration Legacy, yeah. who is our contractor. Really fantastic guys. That's yeah. what we need. We need Restoration Legacy down on Canal we Street about now. We do. We do. So that's an exciting thing that you've got, that museum back in. Because it was, it was like a sort of the heartbeat of Tremay for a long time there. There's all kinds of stuff going on there, music and shows, and people had weddings there. Lots and lots of weddings, Are like, you doing like that many again? of those spaces do. But, you know, I think one of the things that's super exciting about the space is that it was actually the city's first brickyard. Um, and so hmm. it, it sits along a path, a 5,000-year-old Chittimacha path, that uh, essentially was a trading path from the river to the lake. Um, and so the women would actually go all the way to Lake Pontchartrain to get silt and soil and bring it back and make bricks um, on that plantation. And then the men were the bricklayers. So there's a lot of history just like wow. on that property. There is. Wow. Yeah. Because the building is not made of brick, actually, is it? It it's is wood. not. It is a traditional sort of. Is that? Yeah, like Creole villa. Right. The Villa Malore. Wouldn't you think they would make a house out of brick if they were building it in a brickyard? I, that makes sense to me. I am not sure why they decided the barge board. The ba- right. barge board, though, is, does well with our weather. It's wood, Have right? you guys noticed right. what Gia is carrying around here today? A child. <laughs> I asked, what is that? Is that a baby? Because I'm stupid. <laughs> There's a little pouch here, and I'm, I take my four-month-old with me everywhere, including the museum. Well, so. you would have to. What else can you do with a four-month-old? <laughs> you know, people do I guess someone else could look after him, I suppose. But <laughs> how's he doing? He's doing well. He's he's a New Orleans African American Museum baby. So is he, he enjoying the podcast so far? Do you he think he is sleeping? This is uh, not his first podcast. Hopefully, yeah, no bored. indication of uh, you know the excitement <laughs> of the podcast. But, right. Yeah. And I see you're wearing it's an ordinary outfit today. I was l- interested to see what you're going to wear today. This is true. I do love my vintage clothes you and crazy got outfits. Such amazing clothes. <laughs> I've been watching your video blog. Thing. It's called, this, what is it, Live Artfully? Or live, yes, Live Your Purpose Artfully. Live Your Purpose Artfully. Yes. And every time, every episode is you in another fabulous costume. Is it real? I yes. appreciate Have hearing that. I love Ta- that. Take a look. Yeah. I like I like colors. I like uh, interviewing colorful people. So the, the idea is to interview folks who are really right. just trying to find their passion and are blending things that are kind of uncommon, you know, and, and putting them together in a life that works for them. So kind of like happy hour. Kind of like happy hour. Josh does a daily show as yeah. well. We're going to get to that in a minute because first I want to introduce you to Matt Wisdom is here. Matt, Matt is the CEO of TurboSquid. Hello, Grant. Hello, Matt. It's good to see you again. I haven't seen you since 2012 or something. I looked up the, the record. The days are short. Or the <laughs> days are long. The years yeah. are short. Is that it? It's is that what it is? Years. And and does anybody? Do you guys know what Turbo Squid is? Josh, you got any idea? Is it like one of those um, three guesses. Electrical <laughs> plug things that are like uh, it's like tentacles instead of a strip. One. Okay. <laughs> Do you know what Turbo Squid is? Is it like a, a stuffed animal that has, you know, <laughs> some batteries included and it... It's That's close. It's close. It's That's very close. the other business model we yeah. considered, but no. It's nice. Matt will tell you what it is. Well, it's kind of like a, a marketplace for people buying computer graphics. So it's like an Amazon or an eBay, people buying computer graphics around the world. You've seen our oh. stuff from all, all kinds of movies and games and a variety of places. 
According to my information, it's the world's leading seller of 3D models used to create imagery in feature films, computer games, VR, and other industries. Wow. That, that's a fact. World's leading. Oh, wow. By world, what? we mean the entire planet Earth. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you're the biggest guy on Earth in the VR 3D model World. It's like a relatively small industry, probably smaller than knitting, but in it were <laughs> rock stars. You wouldn't believe. Like I, I go to conferences, I actually had people selfie with me in this tiny little industry. So that's like so, my very small minutes of fame other than so being you're, on this podcast. You're, you're, what is it called? Is it called 3D model? Thing? Yeah, they're 3D models. So they're you're 3D model famous and MAS Jazz famous. <laughs> Jazz famous, I think. Three, yeah. Jazz famous is better than three. Oh, jazz model. famous <laughs> is even. Such jazz is the smallest sort of musical genre there is, I think. Probably. Yeah. It's so small, it's, so mighty. Is it smaller than small classical? Small and mighty. Small it's not the size that counts, Grand. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but is jazz smaller than classical, even, or is classical smaller than jazz? Uh, we'll just say classical smaller. I would say. Yeah, so where's where's no where's three D modeling compared to classical and jazz? You think it's even smaller than all that, or is it bigger? God, you know, I, I I think it's growing. It's in its ascendancy. You know, right. we've got virtual reality and augmented reality. We're right. we're, we're moving. So, so you're the I'm Jeff, hoping you're we're, we're going to intersect Bezos. at some point. You're the Jeff Bezos of 3D model. <laughs> I, you're the biggest I, I like online that. that's, that's, in the, thank you. thing in the world. It's a marketplace, right? I, it's like you Amazon. said it. I'll, I'm happy to adopt Jeff that. Jeff Bezos I, of 3D I'm model. I'm somebody will write my Wikipedia page one day and they'll quote you. Do you have a Wikipedia page? No. You I don't? W- Why I'm don't you write, we can write one? Somebody has to write it honestly. I'd never Why write would, my own. You know, I don't honestly, think you're allowed to. People, no, people don't write Wikipedia pages honestly. <laughs> I know, but <laughs> just saying. Do you have a Wikipedia page, Josh? Oh, one day. You don't have one yet? You hire a PR firm. That's what the best That's is. how you get one? Yeah. M.A., you have a Wikipedia page, right? I do, but I didn't write it. I don't think you're allowed uh, to write uh, your own uh, Wikipedia page. No, yeah. How do they verify if it's you writing it or not? Good question. Gia, do you know that? I mean, the info is correct. It is? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Matt, how come you don't have one if you're the biggest guy in the whole world in this well, I, you know, industry? I'm working on it. I'm so working do you on have it. A, not have a PR company? Well, you could. I'm just there's one do for you? the company. I just right. don't feel like self-promoting like that. I don't know. But people already take selfies with you. You should capitalize. Yeah, on it. <laughs> I can be your guy. <laughs> we'll talk afterwards. Okay, you well, you play a guitar company. as well, right? Yeah. Okay, so you could be on Josh's show. I'll trade lessons. Yeah. For anything. For, for Wikipedia writing. Yeah. yeah. He, he does so all I need Josh, is more talent. Josh has a daily video show yes. that he makes, which is, it's called Have a Great Day. Yeah, it's a thing. It's really, have you seen this, Gia? I have not. Now, I want to have a great day. Yeah. So this is a way, this is a good place to start. <laughs> I, I document and I promote uh, musicians and artists or whoever wants to be on a camera playing music with me. Awesome. And I have a good time. It's amazing. Every <laughs> single day, there's someone else who's an amazing musician playing with Josh, who's also an amazing musician, isn't he, Serial? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you have to say that? Well, I have to say that I hire him, so that means a lot. Yeah, there you Aww. go. <laughs> oh, he's got chops. Make he's sick. really good. Oh, Matt, yeah. Matt, when did you start playing? High school. I just, what high school was it? It was Country Day. Country New Day. Mm-hmm. Okay. New Orleans, what high school? Ooh. I know, That's how I we know. do it here. That's, That's how we do how it. We do. You went to school here. Aren't I, you from here, too? I am from here. Five generations. Five generations. What <laughs> school did you go to? I went to McMain. Go Mustangs. <laughs> okay. McMain Magnet. That's correct. Was it a big deal school then? Did you have to test in at you those You had tests? to test in, yeah. So everyone's super smart here. <laughs> we would like to think so. And what did you do after school? I, uh, honestly, I got the hell out of here. Nice. Uh, New Orleans was small, <laughs> so I left uh, yeah. and, w- and went to New York City. 
and attempted a life there for 15 years. So wow. it's my second home. Okay. And, yeah. But you pulled off quite a bit, including having four kids. I did. I did. I mean, you know, I was there. Uh, my parents loved the fact that I finished from NYU and decided to become a farmer. That was their most favorite moment, I think. Uh, wow. Well, were you growing weed back then? <laughs> I wish. I wish. What were you growing? No, we, we had a small little farm uh, near Ithaca um, afterwards. I was really disenchanted with um, the corporate world and left to kind of uh, live off the land. Who's, it was very Denise Huxtable, my, my husband and I. <laughs> so you got your husband to go along with us or this did he drag you out? You know, New Orleans women are very persuasive. So, yes. <laughs> so you, you met this guy in New York? Here in New Orleans. Here. And you dragged him to New York, and then you dragged him to become a farmer. That's correct. Wow. Loyal. Yes. Loyal. <laughs> yeah. Ride or die. Ride, Ride or die, die guy. <laughs> yes. And how Ride long did you stick it out on the farm? What were you growing there? <laughs> we were growing everything, mostly microgreens um, and medicinal herbs, uh, which wow. I later brought back that practice back to New Orleans um, years later. And we had a little small... A business called Grigri Lab, where we grew medicinal herbs and sold them to farms um, in the city. To farms or pharmacies? Farms. You sold so medicinal grow, herbs farm? to farms? Yeah. What the heck does that, how do you do that? That, that, just, that just meant that we, we grew them and then we would sell them in bulk. So we'd dry them, we'd make tinctures or syrups. Why and would a farm them. be growing, why would a farm be <laughs> buying dried vegetables? So they were a, co a cooperative, so they were really interested in how they could promote smaller farmers, right? And so they acted really as that like third-party place right. that Holly people Grove could come. Hollygrove Market, right. yep, which is closed now, yeah. unfortunately. Well, Grigri Labs, how did they pronounce that in New York? I mean, did they call it like Gris Gris Labs? Gris Gris Labs. It was Gris Gris Labs. Constantly. Oh. It was really frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, that keep. is a good marketing question. That's a pretty bad name. <laughs> We'd always put it in parentheses, right? The phonetic spelling so that people could pronounce it correctly. It never worked. How did you get into becoming uh, doing what you're doing now then? Being a you director know, of a museum? It's, it's, it's funny. I've had a winding path, um, always sort of four intersections in my work, in my life. Um, I love growing. Uh, so food work has always been a part of my life. Um, art, my mother's a writer, and so art has always been a part of my life. Music, my grandfather was a jazz musician. Um, what did he do here he in New Orleans? He was yes. a jazz pianist. Charlie Skates Hamilton played with Preservation Hall. He played with George oh. Lewis. Oh, cool. Yeah, so um, music was always a part of our lives, art and theater and, and writing. Um, and then we had that, that weird scientist father, so I had to go to school. And, you know. you had a, your father was a weird scientist? <laughs> or was weird he a, scientist. Or was he a weird person? I hope he's not listening. Maybe, maybe he'll Is listen. he still here? He is still here. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. He's probably listening. He's did, you, did you have to get an engineering degree and an, a liberal arts degree? How did that go? He tried. He, he tried. tried. He's now trying with his grandchildren. <laughs> okay, so you have four kids, and this is number five. This is number five. Little Zaire. Little Zaire. So your oldest one is... 18. 18 years old. Wow. So you've been a mom for a long time, and it's, you've got a long way to go. I have. Still. I have. You... you, you you know, people ask all the time, like, so, you know, it's, it's easy now, right? And you know all the things. And I'm like, no, actually, it's, it's, it's be not. Worse. Now it's you're the old. most humbling job Every that you don't get paid right? for. Every yeah. kid's different, yeah. Yeah, right. absolutely. Did you think you were out of the woods when your last kid, like, turned 15 or 16? I was 16, like, I'm out of the woods. I'll have my then, freedom. Yeah. No. No, you never no. thought that was. I always wanted a big family. Yeah, I never, I never. So this is the last one, or not the last this one? This is probably the not last person, but though. not necessarily. Okay. All right. But probably. 
Matt and I were actually talking about that. You wanted ten children, is that right? Did you? <laughs> then I had one, and then I decided I wanted five, and then I had two, and then I was more or less done. Yeah. And then there was a third, yeah. and I love him dearly. All right, so you negotiated yourself down from ten to three. Oh, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Reality negotiated me into a So how old are your kids? They're 20, 18, and 16. Wow, you guys look awfully young for people. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Did Facebook Live get this? How young yeah. we look? Uh, Don't right? they? Does that oh. look young? Yes. Wow. I mean, for having 17 kids each. It's yeah. Cool. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. And if you could add a filter or two, that would be great. Yeah. Right. I've we learned like the sparkly. magic of this thing, and not the one that ages you prematurely. but make The one make with the little good. pussycat ears? That's oh. like, we have that one. That yeah. one. That one. Hey, so surreal. So you moved here to New Orleans to, to sing or to write or? To chill. To get mm. out of? Being famous or what? No, because I was living in New York for 10 years. And you lived for 10 years? Wow. Mm-hmm. And at first, when I moved to New York, it was because I wanted to be part of the scene and to learn and to, to play in the clubs and everything. And I did that for a while, but in the last few years, I wasn't really playing in New York as often because when I would play in New York, I was playing a, a more higher bigger room where they you can't really play uh, months before because they want to sell tickets in that that show so i had exclusivity contracts so i wasn't really playing in new york anymore and so so the more famous you got the less you played well i would go and play on the road so i i tour a lot and so you know when you're touring a lot and you're running and always going from point a to point b when i was home which meant I was uh, off. I was in the busiest, fast-paced city right. ever. <laughs> so there was not really a, a, a downtime. So I came to New Orleans so that while I'm not touring, I'm in a place where it's slower and uh, the quality of life is, is, is higher and, and I have time to do you know, things and also to be outside. I like I like the warmth and the food here. <laughs> I love it. Right. So you found the right place. So you're staying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All I right. bought a house here. Okay. Mm-hmm. You're not like these other famous people, like Brad Pitt and all these guys. Didn't he buy a bunch of houses here? He bought he bought a house. He built a lot of houses here, but that was for other people. Yeah. But they're Cage. weird looking. Nicholas Cage, Cage was here for a while. Nicholas Cage is my neighbor. Really? Really? All right. How'd that That's go? What I think. Uh, you know, well, I, he didn't remember where his cross street was, actually, as his wife didn't. It was interesting. They, he couldn't remember where he lived. Here, they, uh, they had a house in the Garden District and one in the French Quarter, and they sort of, that was a problem that came up a couple times in their relationship. Couldn't, couldn't remember which house. house they lived in. <laughs> wow. That's a good problem. He bought Daniel Lanois' old house on Esplanade Avenue. He bought that one, too. He bought the haunted house, the, the one that's like the seriously haunted house downtown. He said he liked to buy ghost front property. Ghost so front. he bought a chapel oh, on 3rd and Britannia. <laughs> that was his quote. Come on, bro. And then he bought the one that's like the, the what is it? I, I can't remember the name of that, the house, but in the quarter, that's like the right. most haunted of all haunted houses oh, in really? New Orleans. Yeah. So did you see him around when he was here? Were you, did you hang I out? His, I saw his wife. It was just fascinating. His wife, because it took a little while to figure this out, because my, my at some point, my, my youngest, who at that time was like six, said, Dad, I'm friends with the the son of the rock star who lives next door and I was like oh wait hold on I can Wikipedia this like you can find out who Nick Cage's son's name is so I said what's his name and he said it's Kalal and it turns out yes his name is Kal-El which is the Superman's name on planet Krypton 
the son of Nicolas Cage is Kal-El. Yeah, yeah. And he's named after Superman on Krypton. So that's it. So it's all you could validate stuff. His tomb is really impressive too. Here as well. It's like a pyramid or something. You already bought a plot. Cage. He's not dead. In St. Louis. No. He wishes he was. Maybe he bought a plot for himself. Yeah, in St. Louis Cemetery. Thinking ahead. Yeah, thinking ahead. Are you serious? You it's very to, romantic. You can go to Nicolas Cage's grave. Yeah. So, well, <laughs> hopefully not soon to be. I mean, yeah. he's got a lot of work yeah. left. The death date is a question. Time I've heard this in a month. <laughs> is that right, Thomas? Yeah. Somebody else has brought this up to yeah. me. Wow. Too. It's important New Orleans knowledge. That's good stuff, Joshua. Yeah. How do you know that? I'm 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 just a learned man. You apparently know stuff. <laughs> he's a great New Orleans tour guide. He yeah. must be. Did he I, take you to Nicolas Cage's? No. Tour? How dare you? I'm sorry. We'll get around to it. That'll be on the ghost tour sooner or later. Well, what happened to him? So he lost a whole lot of money and had to sell everything, I think. Is that right? Yeah, the, I think the IRS got a hold of him. Oh. So that's what he yeah, We well, have to pay taxes at some point. So Carl L. is gone as well, the whole... And the wife, is he still married to Mrs. Cage? Uh, I, I, you know, Alice, is, she's wonderful, but um, I, I can't speak to their marriage. I'm not don't really know. sure. You don't know anything. You haven't kept up with them, the Cage. Well, they had a little bit of a run-in on... Yeah, there was a whole thing in the French Quarter. It was sort of... That was the last I heard that... He was going to the wrong house, and he got arrested. And there was a whole thing. It was, it was a little oh, really? bit rough. Yeah, yeah. It was big news. He was so high or drunk or something that he walked into the wrong house. See, he happened to be at the restaurant Stella, you know, while it was there. And then uh, as he had a whole scene, and then unfortunately the editor of Vanity Fair was there too. And so nice. wrote a whole article about what happened as he melted down wow. in the restaurant. And then after that, he left, couldn't find his house, and then was like arrested. And it was anyway. I don't remember just, any of this. You remember any of this, you guys? Actors can't stop acting. Right. That's funny. <laughs> they wow. can't. That is a crazy story. <laughs> oh, it, so who bought the house now, the next day, the neighbors? Um, who are current uh, neighbors? You know, med mal plaintiffs. You know, Just plaintiffs regular, attorneys. You regular know, the, the people, people, successful folks who okay. are kind of coming in. You know, Where do you live? Special house. Now that you're the world's biggest. Oh, God. Well, you know, I, you actually just, I just sold the house and moved from the Garden District to Uptown. Okay. So it's fun. So it's a, a nice little change of pace. All right. I wanted to be what in made the you move? for 10 you years. Wanted, you want, do you want a bigger place or a smaller place? Or I want just, a smaller place. It's hard to run one of these battleships in the in the Garden District. It's an old, fun house. It's a house they shot this movie Django Unchained in for okay. a while, wow. so we had all... The, it was a Wait, ton of fun. Oh. Like, oh, my goodness. You gave up the pool? <laughs> so what happened? You, you know, made a huge bunch of money there when you started the business, and you bought a giant house in the Garden District, and then... And then I learned my lesson, and such then, a great well, idea. You know, right. it's, a lot of, yeah. it's a lot of fun, but there's a thing called too much house, and when your kids are moving out of the house, and you're sort of sitting around saying... Right. time, so I'm learning. I'm downsizing in my late 40s, and, and and I'm enjoying it. Except for, you know, moving to the new place this week. Uh, the air conditioning breaks, and there's a boil advisory. I'm just like, I'm drinking the water. I'm drinking the ice. <laughs> yeah, I'm the ice. I, I never I'm pay done. attention to that boil water advisory. Did you? Do you care about that? No. I don't worry about that. Hey, listen, you guys, you want to play something surreal while we're sitting here with a guitar? Yeah. What do you want to play? What do you want to do? Mary Mule. Okay. I'm going to take the headphones off. Okay. Marry me a little. Love me just enough. Cry, but not too often. Play, but not too rough. Keep a tender distance. So we'll both be free, that's the way it ought to be. 
I'm ready, marry me a little, do it with a will, make a few demands I'm able to fulfill, want me more than others, not exclusively, that's the way it ought to be, I'm ready, I'm ready now, you can be my best friend. I can be your right arm We'll go through a fight or two No harm, no harm We'll build a cocoon Of love and respect You'll promise whatever you like I'll never collect, right? Okay then, I'm ready, I'm ready now Marry me a little, love me just enough Warm and sweet and easy, just the simple stuff Keep a tender distance, so we'll both be free That's the way it ought to be I'm ready, marry me a little, body, heart and soul Passionate as hell, but always in control Want me first and foremost, keep me company That's the way it ought to be I'm ready, I'm ready now Oh, how gently we'll talk Oh, how softly we'll tread All the stings the ugly things we'll keep unsaid We'll build a cocoon of love and respect You'll promise whatever you like I'll never collect, right? Okay then, I'm ready I'm ready now, someone, I'm ready, hmm. Wow, okay. What do, you th what do you think of that, kids? Yeah, that was lovely. That's a pretty a great rare treat. That was Sondheim. That's off your album called Move On. Yes. It's a, it's a, the album is a tribute to Stephen Sondheim, who's a legendary Broadway composer. He, he wrote the lyrics to West Side Story when he was 26, and he's now 89 or something. And this song is from a show called Company, which is um, the main character, Bobby, is the only single person in his old entourage so all his friends are in a relationship or they're getting married or they they've been married several times they have kids and they're all telling him Bobby you have to find a nice girl and settle down and you know telling him it's a it's hard work but it's amazing and and Bobby you know he they're all his friends and he can see that it's not amazing <laughs> and uh, and uh, so he's kind of struggling with the fear of commitment 
versus the longing for intimacy and that this song is a song that he sings in the show marry me a little that's kind of what everyone's struggling with isn't it mm -hmm. fear of commitment and a desire for intimacy yeah we'd like to be married a little bit not exclusively too so that's a <laughs> that's know. a sort of a dream uh, yeah it's very forward looking i think <laughs> <laughs> and do you are you acting as well Um, or are you just singing these Sondheim Broadway songs? Oh yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm a singer, but I believe in the songs I sing, and I live them while I'm singing right. them. So maybe visually it looks like I'm acting, but <laughs> now I mean, do you want to get on stage and sing these songs in the show, or oh, are you happy? Oh, I would like that. That would be fun. Because you know Stephen Sondheim, right? Yeah, I, mean, I do. So. Is he powerful enough still in Broadway to tell people who to cast in a show? I mean, I don't know. We're not buddies or anything. But he's a big <laughs> fan of yours, though. Yeah. Um, I Actually, the way I, I discovered his music was because I got casted to do a, a tribute to Sondheim show at the New York City Center with the Winter Marsalis Orchestra. And, uh, and I was on stage acting these songs and the two female singers of the show were myself and Bernadette Peters <laughs> and that was my introduction to his music wow yeah <laughs> that's pretty star-studded introduction and did you meet him through that yes okay yes he, he knocked on my door and told me I made him laugh and cry wow mm -hmm. that's a pretty pretty amazing accolade yeah but have you are you interested how would you go about transitioning from just being a singer singing these songs on a record to actually singing them on a Broadway stage well the first thing is not to move from New York to New Orleans <laughs> okay <laughs> that would be a good step and leave Broadway behind yeah yeah I don't know um, I'm not actively looking for it but if if I get asked because I'm mostly a musician and I already have so many goals as a musician like for example writing music uh, that I'm I mean I, after being part of that show that Stephen Sondheim tribute I was a, amongst a lot of actors and people from the Broadway world and it's so hard basically they spend their whole days going to auditions yeah. and they do dozens of auditions to maybe get one call back and it's I mean you have to dedicate your whole self to it and so I'm you're not going to just get cast magically by because Stephen Sondheim likes you you're not going to exactly. get exactly that's what happened to me see that's how yeah. I that's how I make things happen <laughs> right but is there there's not really any real way that could happen uh, realistically you have to audition for everything and you've got to dedicate your life to it Yeah, if you want to be in the Broadway world, yeah. See, what you need is, you need a lifestyle coach. I thought uh, you needed Gregory. I'm going to come back. <laughs> I'm going to tell you exactly how to get a lifestyle coach in just a minute. We're going to take a very quick break, and I'm going to come back and talk about your future on Broadway. Okay, Surreal? Okay, sounds good. Okay. And we're back on Happy Hour with Matt Wisdom, Surreal M.A. Very long break. <laughs> Josh Starkman and Gia Hamilton. And Gia Hamilton, I'm going to turn to you next and have you explain to Surreal how to achieve her life goals. You know, I had a feeling you were going to come to me about okay. that. Okay. <laughs> 
lifestyle coaching is pretty is is I think simple in its design, which is really to get to know a person that you're working with, understand their goals, and help them achieve their goals. And I, I I'm guessing there's a reason you're I've directing got, that question see, to me. I am directing it to you because I have here <laughs> in my notes that Graham DePonte, our producer, gave me. It says that you are a lifestyle coach. The, it says that I could schedule a rapid strategy session with you. This is work that I have done. Um, so my practice um, from farming led to sort of a healing practice. So um, a massage therapy, acupuncture practice, um, and then working with people. So working with them in terms of their like body, their uh, kind of life goals and purpose, and helping them to kind of understand how to shape those goals so that they can actualize them. So kind of using a total holistic approach to that. Does it work? It, it sometimes. What when, percentage of success would you have with a client? You know, it really depends, but it depends on the person's commitment and their belief in the thing that they want to achieve. Um, and so it really is kind of an intimate relationship with uh, with a client, with a person that you're right. working with. Josh, you have a lifetime goal that you're trying to achieve? <laughs> a lifetime goal. A lot of different things, I guess. But it's interesting that you're talking about this because I come from a family of this. My dad's a chiropractor, and my brother's a massage therapist and acupuncturist. My mom was a midwife uh-huh. for 30 years. Yeah. So I've been around all this stuff. My brother actually is a life coach. There's something interesting about life coaches, though, is because it's like they... Uh, what, how do I put this? It's like... Uh, like they themselves need a life coach, but they become a life coach because it's a, a good, it's good for them as well. Because you know I mean? true. It's true. It's true. Yeah, therapists. It's like well. psychiatrists yeah. are all crazy. Yeah. It helps yeah. keep you accountable, honestly. Right. Except yeah. uh, this is more organic, fair trade, local. Is that, is that why you started doing it? Because your life was a mess yourself? Yeah, it's always a mess. <laughs> Five kids. <laughs> you can't help but have a messy life. Uh, but, you know, what I have learned is like how you handle the messiness, how you handle the things that are that are troubling and, and challenging is, is kind of like where the magic lies. So now I work a lot with artists um, and that work kind of translates seamlessly, right? Like artists are always kind of thinking about the industry. They're thinking about how to get, get in and break into the industry. And it's been really fun now helping artists to think about um, how to think about themselves as mini businesses and how to set goals for themselves and to kind of achieve a bit of sustainability so that they can continue to do the things they love. You've already got something going for you as an artist if you're together enough to hire a lifestyle coach. <laughs> I was going to say, do you give a good discount for the artists? I mean, it's, it's no, hard I'm to starve and for, hire a life coach. For I'm, free? For free. What? Because I work at a museum and I've worked at a residency, so I find that like when I'm not consulting folks who can really afford to have like you know someone work with them I, I just I do this work because I love it I want to see people um, live their best lives and you know you get to do that as an administrator but there's another component that really is about like listening to people you know and and helping them and really um, giving them space to think about the things that they you know maybe don't give themselves permission to dream and, and think about so that part is fun and it reminds me that it's also my job to do that for myself do you have any training in that, or do you just make it up as you go? You, lots of people do make it up as they go. This is true. Um, I, you know, I do have training. Um, I'm, I'm an applied anthropologist, so I'm always looking at qualitative information and how that's useful, both within organizations, um, but also smaller groups. And then I've actually also taken courses. So again, my, my practice is really centered around food, healing, art and kind of radical education so it's, it's always combining those things in whatever projects I take on um, and as of late the last 10 years it's it's been centered around real estate development interestingly enough 
So how do we, you know? How'd you fit that into? You know, food, if people don't have if people don't have space to actually um, have freedom to do some of the things that they're interested in doing, then, you know, they're, they're searching for the right spaces to actually be able to show work or perform or try something new. And so a lot of what I'm doing is trying to think about institution building differently um, and, and with, a, you know, a more inclusive sort of um, um, and, and equitable lens. So the last two projects that I've done really bring people into the fray where you get an opportunity to maybe try something and fail. And I think in maybe even failing or not doing something well, there's something really incredible that happens. That's all part of the process. You have to fail to succeed. Absolutely. That's a big entrepreneurial thing, isn't it, Matt? Entrepreneurs used to always say that. Are they still saying that? Oh, it's so, it's so painful because the thing <laughs> is you have all these great ideas and it's not your best idea that sort of survives and, and, and succeeds. Or what and so, you think is the best. Oh, really? You had this yeah. idea and it turns out you're like, why this one? I mean, I had this idea and that idea. And I, you know. I remember a great idea you had. Which one? Vote it. Oh, God. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, I was trying to help I people that like, decide things all together, but it's hard to get people to pay money to have a platform sort of like hey, can, survey. Can you explain to these guys stuff. what vote it was? It was yeah. awesome. Well, imagine you could all like vote and you're trying to decide an issue and everybody's votes can change at the same time and you're writing comments about why you support something or don't like something. It was really interesting. It was a lot of fun. It just, but, but it turns out that if you're trying to democratize decision making, it turns out management won't pay for it. <laughs> the last thing, it turns out power, the last thing power wants to do is give up power and then pay to give up power. So it's so the wrong formulation for a business idea, although, you know, it was... It's still it a such run. a great idea. It was a piece of software that you could everyone could log on to. It seems like someone like you, Gia, could use that, right? Yes. Maybe oh. you were just looking at the wrong place. You were looking to sell it to business, whereas you could sell it to some other nonprofit well, type work. Well, you never know. And, and somebody, you, somebody said to me, what do you want to be? Do you want to be more handsome or stronger? Or, or do you want to be richer or whatever it was? It was I just want better timing. Because you have these ideas and you're like, you're early. And if you're early, people don't like your idea and it's sort of dead. There are all these ideas that, you know, whatever, toys.com or pets.com, like all these failures that are now like people buy all their pet food online, whatever is going on, right? Amazon.com just killed all of it, though. And what's in Amazon? Well, that's a good question. I I want to ask you guys this question, especially you, and if you just brought this up, Josh, that is Amazon.com the bad guy or the good guy? Is it a marketplace where anybody can sell anything and it's democratized business? Or has it killed everything? Like, is it the Walmart of online? Both? Yeah, both. Time will tell. Bezos wants to go to the moon. So when the robots (laughs) that develop there and take over come back here and kill all of us, we can make a a call. (laughs) But I'm serious. Is there an answer to this question? Is he a good guy, Jeff Bezos, or is he... They're driving prices down, and they're mercilessly driving prices down and driving convenience and stuff up. And so, like, I, have, I don't know if you've been to the Amazon Go store where you walk in, you just open your phone, it scans your code, there's no cashier. So you walk in and grab something off the shelf, put it down, walk to the next shelf, grab whatever you want, and you just walk out and you get a bill. It is magic to walk into a place where you, there's no cashier, you take what you want, and you leave. Like, they're like cashiers. You really? You I like sitting there? You person, like queuing up? Maybe there's a person with a job, you know? Well, that's a different problem. Yeah, and, then also, and then also these places a lot of time are cashless. So you have, it's almost like class warfare in a way. If you don't have access to a bank account, then you're screwed. Well, yeah. that's true. Something like this, if you, yeah. 
you know, cash, there's, huh? there's an interesting project called the Venus Project that kind of looks at doing away with menial labor and like what that means for human potential. Huh. And so in a, in, a, in a really idealistic way, I feel like the move towards how we use our time, how we use our brain power and our capacity is actually kind of fascinating. Now, the process to getting there, I don't think will be a smooth process um, if that's where humans are going, right? Uh, which is just like, hey, you know, what else could this cashier be doing with his or her time mm -hmm. if menial labor was taken care of, but if we democratized and, and, and made processes more equitable, right? I don't know that that can happen in a capitalist system. Right. Though, There's right? always a lot of losers. I've got two words. <laughs> yes, Matt, what is lots of losers. Lots. I was going to say, well, one of, the, <laughs> one of the people who loves New Orleans started this company called Venture for America, had all these people come to New Orleans, like, uh, like great, incredible graduates to help startups in New Orleans. And having a lot of success, and he came here and he said, he, he said, hey, Matt, uh, what do you think about AI and what's about to happen to all the jobs in the world? And I was like, oh, we're fucked. We are <laughs> fucked. It is unbelievable. He said, yeah, that's why I'm running for president. And so he's Andrew Yang. Andrew he is a Yang huge fan of New Orleans and doing stuff here. But it's like, anyway, so that message has carried him. I think he's sixth in the polls. He killed it in the debates last night. But it's fascinating to watch a person who's just like one of us basically sit up there and just tell a lot of truth. It's wild to watch. Well, he's got the solution to this end of menial labor, which is this universal basic income where everybody gets a thousand bucks a month. Right. So and you're trying it and, and, and surveying people about how they spend that money. And it's, it's, it is fascinating, I think. Um, is it working? You know, working, I think, is, is the wrong way to, to, to kind of think about an analysis around it. I think um, it's been more fascinating to see people are using it for things like, you know, child care or trying to pay off bills. And then, of course, you have people who are sort of saying, you know, I'm going to treat myself to that nice dinner that I never get to do. And I feel like even though we might have a critique of that, I think that's also important, right? That people can see themselves outside of just sort of working to pay off debt. And yeah. so there's something for us to learn from this kind of experiment that's happening um, around universal income. I, you know, I worked with a lot of people who just did you work in the tech industry, Russian folks who'd grown up under the Soviet system. And they said, you know, the thing is that we had health care, we had food, guaranteed apartment, job, retirement, daycare, everything. And you could go to school, we got master's degrees, you got paid to get master's degrees. So they get one, two, three degrees, all this stuff. And they said, the thing is that although there was not that much you could do, you were so safe, you just didn't worry, your stress was so low. They said, here, you don't know, you could be homeless, anything could happen to you. And so like having that Security. It was an interesting so trade So the communist system is way better. Except no. you, well, you can't speak <laughs> up. Well, if you have objections no about how the speech. system works, then right. you're well, going to have a hard time. As long as you don't have a political, and they would not, I couldn't get any of these folks to say anything political. They're sure, like, ah, I've sure. got other interests. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, so I'm not saying that one is better than the other, but what stress, what, there, it is stressful to look at your health care. It's stressful to look at every other right. piece, right? Those and have somebody be like, you don't have but that. Is universal basic income the same as communism? Is that what you're saying? Well, I mean, I think the idea is reducing the stress, right? Which is right. like, if you know you've got some baseline that you're going to get to, but then you, is, you, right. there's no worse you could do. Is, 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 is there a difference between the word universal basic income and welfare? You know what I mean? Because if you look at it in a historical right. context, the United States has never really been much of a welfare state. So culturally, we're not really used to that. But it, there are many examples of places that have more socialized programs. Obviously, people point to Scandinavia as something that works. But then you also look at places in Central America or the Caribbean where there are welfare states, but it's basically used as a, a point of control by the autocrats. 
like Nicaragua, for example, or all the dictatorships, which in fact were supported by the United States. So it's well, those trippy, huh? places are <laughs> places where there's rampant poverty to begin with. Sure. Whereas we're talking about a country like the United States, where right. there's not rampant so that's poverty. What's interesting. We only have a few people to bring up. We right. don't have a whole nation to bring up. So maybe it's possible if everybody I, just got a couple I thousand don't know. bucks. I would, I would argue that that wealth gap is actually growing exponentially, well, and yeah. that and that in this country, you know, um, most people are actually living paycheck to paycheck, which means you right. know this idea of homelessness. Is, is actually a very real uh, possibility for, for many folks, right? And so I think a place like New Orleans, it's what's interesting about being back here and at, at home, things I couldn't appreciate uh, earlier in life, or that this idea that people care, the generosity of people is, is kind of exceptional, right? And, in New Orleans. In, in New Orleans, You find right? that and to be true, for real. It's, I, it's I genuine. Think, you know, there's a, there's a genuine, you know, there's a tension, right? Um, and And... But I think that, that people are sort of interested in how this place acts as an incubator for uh, being different from any town USA. And um, so I think that's why I think a lot of folks are looking to this place um, for information to try to understand. Are they? Well, yeah, culturally, solutions. but not structurally or systematically. There's a dissonance between the way people treat each other here on the street level and how they act in City Hall or in the State House in Baton Rouge. It's different. Absolutely, but, but there's an agency there right. in terms of how people take up space. If we could translate the way we act culturally here to policy or to the system or structure, then maybe we might have a fighting chance. Well, Matt, you're involved in <laughs> politics here. How would we do that? Oh, well, uh, that, that, that's, that's a hard question. I mean, politics, right? Somebody defined politics. I thought it was kind of interesting. Is, closed, you know? as, the, as, the, <laughs> as the means to divide resources on a subjective basis, because there's no real objective way to be like, how should everything be shared? Which road should be repaved? I mean, it's hard to get to that, right? right. But I helped Latoya. Latoya controls a personal friend and helped encourage her. was like, you need to run for mayor. You should do that. And, um, and you so, said that to her, not she said that to you. Oh, oh, oh no, 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 I'm, I'm on this side of the fence, right. and, and that's good. Uh, but, but so she won, and it was kind of funny. She said, well, would you, um, you know, now that I've won, would you help me run, like, help run my transition team? And it was kind of fascinating, because I thought I was done when she won the election. And she's like, but we haven't taken office yet. And then she had the transition, and then after so the you headed up the tra yeah. her transition team. I was so, co-chair, yeah. So you appointed, or you advised her on who to put in city government? At various times. So you're the guy we need to get off a parking ticket and so on. Yeah, what's up with that? There That's was like the talk thing. about those uh, those speeding tickets being taken away or well, they it was forgiven. Did, uh, look, this I'm is not saying, my man. issue. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna own all that. But, but so they did they did basically. <laughs> it doesn't take long. They did um, turn them off during the summer. They did a they couple did. of that stuff. Okay. But the truth, uh, you know, the reality is that like it's a significant amount of revenue. I just yeah. my personal right. request is that we have flashing lights at every time there's a traffic camera in the school zone. I just yes. like yeah. I don't want to speed through school zone ever in my life. Just want to be reminded. Just add that. Well, and help that you with figured writing. out how to make a huge amount of money. Can you figure it out for the city how to make a huge amount of money? Well, you know that's like the Huey Long quote or whatever. Don't tax me. Don't tax you. Tax the man behind the tree. You know, <laughs> something like that. Well, without uh, without us paying more taxes, we're already paying enough taxes, and we're not getting anything for it really. Well, so then you got to show stewardship, right? This is an actual real issue, and I think the sewage and water board, all the rest of that is like we're yeah, gonna get to the money. Guys. We got to yeah. be effective. I think Hassan's doing a good job, but like, yeah. it's hard. You're it's up against a hundred twenty-year-old system. Oh. Or older than that, right? So, so look, <laughs> uh, in the transition, you you talk to people, and maybe 
of ten people, ten pe- like eight would say drainage was their big, big right. issue, right? <laughs> and then yeah. one or two would say crime, and then housing costs would be like the third distant. Like drainage is overwhelmingly the support. And so Latoya came at this, and she was willing to take on the state and the tourism to go after getting that money, about $40 million a year. Mitch didn't do that. Other people were afraid to do that. And she went after that, and like, we need money to pay for it. There's no way around right. it. It was a pretty good idea. Well, she's consolidated the Convention and Visitors Bureau and the Tourist Commission and all these boondoggly type operations that were out there, which is a pretty smart thing to do. We, we, we have to get the money. I mean, I hate to say it because, you know, it, it is taxes that are going to get paid and we have to do that. But, like, there's a real serious problem. Everybody's well, seeing it. Sewage and water board is the big problem, apparently. <laughs> that what, seems to me to be, I mean, it's, I it's think that's a, true, isn't it? I mean, isn't it every time there's a flood or something, people are always saying that it would be so easy to just have more teams of guys out there cleaning the ditches, cleaning the drainage ditches. And there's guys in neighborhoods who have documented, like, it took me 45 minutes by myself <laughs> to scoop out all the muck. Right. I am one of those people right. on, my blo- on my block right. who does it. Yeah. So now that does get back to the question, what are we paying for our ta- with our tax money? But that's also the same on a federal level as well. Yeah. Well, that's you know? true. <laughs> but in New Orleans especially, there's not much to show for the property taxes that we pay or the, even the sales or, tax or we pay. Or the, the ticket money. Where, right. Like, where, right. Uh, is there's there somewhere where can we, we can read... Uh, like the, the layout of the expenditure well, they, they, they do I mean again I'm not a defender of anybody sure, I'm sure, just sure. you know I don't represent just New Orleans in any way but, no, but they've got the budget <laughs> like they do budget processes it's incredibly complicated I'm for sure. how it all works you know what I mean but so you can actually see where people are spending the money but we undervest in roads I think Baton Rouge the status hall is something like they spend 7x per mile so there's a there's a joke which is like oh we're built on soft soil and I know it's peat and all the rest of that kind right, of stuff but right. the other thing is we just don't spend the money to have the roads right. like just be honest with each other it seems yeah. like it's easier in New Orleans to Zero. embezzle millions of dollars than it is oh, to yeah. divert millions of dollars towards things that need to get done I would take issue with that. I think, so Mitch, there was not a major scandal through the eight years of Mitch. I mean, I suppose in Nagan, I mean, I helped, oh, wow. I helped bring people into Mitch's administration and the tech transition and stuff. I mean, Does several, that just mean three, nobody got caught there? Wow, well, that's, I don't know. Yeah, I just by the that. nature of the modern Democratic Party, <laughs> no. I mean, how many people did Mitch Landrew have his hands in their pockets? Well, of, the you know? chief technology officer for, for Nagan, I mean, like two of the four went to prison or you know so right. that's a 50 they just 50 got, they just well, got better was, at doing it yeah that was well, stupid i'm just waiting i'm just waiting for a new york times article or something you know? on mitch on anyone oh <laughs> absolutely on anyone you know, from new Orleans. it's interesting as a, as a as a leader of an institution that certainly has had its share of kind of political issues right the new orleans african-american museum had a convergence of political issues one of the things that i feel like is really important is is a high level of transparency for constituents and community mm-hmm. um, to understand like how we're spending money you know what what are the museum's priorities right we're sitting on you know prime real estate in the middle of historic Treme All right. uh, we just started a, you know a renovation project and it's been really important from the beginning to sort of say this is what we're gonna do 
this is what we're doing and this is the end result and this is how this benefits community. So I think, you know, um, to your point, Matt, like when we have leaders that are willing to share the challenges that, that we all experience, right, and are, are willing to walk us through the process, no process is going to be perfect. But, you know, when you have a leader who's willing to be transparent, I think that that's something significant. And so I've appreciated that we can get, you know, a, a higher level of transparency with the, with the last administration and with LaToya's administration. But it seems to me, as well as that, which is great to have honesty and transparency, it would be good to have actual smart people in the administration like you, for example. Rather Come on, man, just run, guys man. Who, no, 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 but like, you're, so, the, you're the most successful guy in the entire world oh, in your so, business. Oh, yes. And my, that doesn't mean I understand how to like do zoning it's a and pretty good, administer it's stuff. It's a pretty but, good chance that you do, though. But you know what I did was I helped hire Gilbert uh, Montagna, who's our CAO of the city. He came from, um, from uh, Albuquerque. He is amazing. But it's hard to manage through. You've got civil service. You've got people who it's very hard to change your staff. So you've got the staff you come in with, and you have to run thousands of people to run all these projects. Like it's a, so what, one of the candidates running against Latoya used to say, well, this is an Einstein. I'm like, right, this is an Einstein. It's boring process. Like This is not particle physics or whatever it is. Like This is just how to get streets paved. This is the most boring, hard, grinding work there is to change policies that were come. You know, somebody invented 100 years ago ideas that we're stuck with. And you're battling against all this stuff. It's it's a tough process, and people want to see you fail. Although, luckily, I think in New Orleans we're way less divided in a lot of cities because people realize like we all live and die by Latoya. Well, we're all in this together. We're now. in this together. Yeah, yes. we need we need to not drown. Yeah, or be washed away. Or be washed away, and there are we'll other pay eight hundred dollars a month for our sewage and water bill. Oh, Oh God! Which I mean, is a whole other. Look, I had my sewage and water bill a, a couple of months ago was seven thousand dollars. <laughs> Call them they broke a pipe somewhere, they let it right. run, whatever. Now, I'll to their credit, when I said my regular bill, they let me pay my regular bill yeah. amount and waive the other most yeah. of $7,000. Everybody in New Orleans has had the same conversation on yes. with the sewage and water board people saying, why is my bill $800? Well, they just like, oh, you don't have to pay that. To their credit, though, that, that burst was really impressive uh, that was, the other day. Oh, my God, down on Pinole Street. That was, was like, wild, yeah, it was like Yellowstone. It? It was yeah, it was cool. Yeah, it was so Except cool. Except for the, you know, yeah, the effect people without of water. Hey, listen, okay. you guys, Surreal, it's time for you to play another song. What do you think? Can you play one more for us? What do you want to do? Do you want to do Love You or something else a little more up, maybe? Yeah. want to do, like, Begin to See the Light? Okay. That would be great. We need to begin to see the light. Yes. Yeah, that is a beautiful song. Is that Duke Ellington? I never cared much for moonlit skies. I never blinked the back at fireflies. But now that the stars are in your eyes, I'm beginning to see the light. I never walked in for afterglow or candlelight on the mistletoe. But now when you turn the lamp down low, I'm beginning to see the light. I used to ramble through the park, shadow boxing in the dark. Then you came. And cause a spark that's a four-alarm fire now I never made love by lantern shine Never saw rainbows in my wine But now that your lips are burning mine I'm beginning to see the light 
through the park Shadow boxing in the dark Then you came and caused a spark That's a four alarm fire now I never made love by lantern shine Never saw rainbows in my wine But now that your lips are burning mine I'm beginning to see the light Boy, beginning to see the light Boy, beginning to see the light Nice score one for jazz over computer oh my, graphics. Yeah, we're, <laughs> oh, we're oh, playing, we're playing this Friday. Where are you at? No, Saturday. 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 <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> my bad. One of these nights. Where and are you playing? At Cereal. Snug Harbor. God, that was beautiful. That's like Sarah Vaughan and West Montgomery sitting right across from oh, you. Isn't it? Come on. Really, seriously. It's, so nice it's beautiful. That's What a treat. Yeah, yeah. That is awesome. So where can we see you play? This this Saturday at Snug, Snug Harbor, Harbor. 8 p.m. and 10 p.m. And are you in town much? Are you in New Orleans much playing, or are you mostly just not uh, playing? When I am, I, I play, but I'm not in town a lot. Right. But this is the last one in a while. And it's a big, it's going to be a, a, sep, a seven-piece band. Big oh. band. Yeah, and we're going to Are you the music director, Josh? You no, putting this together? no, no. I'm just there for good times. I'm the music yeah. director. You're the music director of your own band. Is that right? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. And, He's the boss. And uh, we're gonna perform songs from the the Sondheim tribute. And uh, yeah, so that's Saturday, October. Oh, that's a- gonna 19th. be a real treat. Saturday, October the nineteenth, two thousand nineteen. If you happen to be listening to this after that, you can find more of your stuff on surrealmamusic.com or something like that. Surrealmusic.com or Surreal. Spotify. Surreal. Okay, and it's spelled C Y R I L L E. If mm-hmm. you're looking for that. And we have links to it on our website as well. It's neworleans.com. This has been a real treat having you here. I can't thank you enough for coming thank along. You. And Josh, thank you for coming along too. Coming back. It's been great. Thank you. And Matt Wisdom has been here from Turbo Squid. We can find you on Turbo Squid. Thank you so much. And Chris. also you're going to be the savior of New Orleans eventually. That's what I'm planning. I don't accept that yet, but if that happened, that would be way. great Come for on, just everybody, run. including me. Yeah. No, I don't, you don't want to run for anything. You want to just step into the organizational. Anything I can do to help somebody else to save this city, I'll do. Yeah, y'all need okay. someone good on social media that can just tell everybody in plain language what's up in the city. That's a good angle. And we can fi- follow Josh, of course, yeah. on Have a Great Day. At Joshua Starkman. At on Joshua Instagram, Stark on Instagram yeah. and have mm-hmm. a great day on. Our, on it's Joshua Stark. It's just under my name, actually. Just Google it yeah. and you can buy merch. I, I, t- I have shirts, stickers, pins. I'm going to get coffee mugs, maybe underwear with my face on it. Re- underwear with your face on it. Yeah. Okay, that's Surprise. an interesting idea. <laughs> but go check out this because it really is cool what Josh is doing. It's spreading music around the world and around the country. Hey, Zaire is awake and just look for Josh. <laughs> Starkman, S-T-A-R-K-M-A-N. <laughs> yeah, underwear. Zaire woke up. Gia Hamilton, thank you for being <laughs> hey, here, too. Thank you. And we can go see you down there at the uh, African American Museum. African American Museum, yeah, 1418 Governor Nichols. And we can find you online as well. You can yeah. at noaam.org. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much, thank everybody. You. That is Happy Hour for another week, brought to us by Basics on Magazine Street and the Positive Vibrations Foundation, who create and encourage community through the development and preservation of the arts, music, culture, and heritage. If you'd like to be a member of our Patreon family, go to patreon.com. And for as little as one single dollar, you can be a member of our Happy Hour family. Our Happy Hour theme is being played today 
by Josh Starkman. The producer of our show is Graham DePonte. Our music producer is Monique Pyle. Christian Owner is our music consultant. And our technical director is Thomas Walsh. Did I say Thomas Walsh? It's Thomas Walsh, actually. Our Facebook Live feed director is Asher Griffith, who put this whole thing on Facebook Live, or at least half of it. Andrew Searock is our fact checker and social media connector. And our theme music normally is written and played by Mitch Foreman, but today it's being played by Joshua Starkman from Have a Great Day. If you'd like to be on our show and you can stay upright for about 60 minutes while drinking alcohol, drop us a line. Our address is on our website, itsneworleans.com. You can also check out many other happy hours that we made previous to this show, along with other shows we make here, including Out to Lunch with Peter Raschuti, live from Commander's Palace, Louisiana Eats with Pompey Tooker, and our award-winning podcast about death called Death the Podcast. You can also find other great Louisiana podcasts at itsacadiana.com and it's Baton Rouge LA. You can keep up with us on a bunch of time-sucking social media between shows like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. On all of it, you can find us at It's New Orleans, and you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our It's New Orleans Happy Hour Facebook page. These photos were taken today by Hope Bird. You can find more of Hope's photos online. You can Google her name, Hope B-Y-R-D, or check out her website, The Gold Frame. If you're listening to this on your favorite podcast app, thank you for subscribing to us. If your podcast app has a share option, tell a couple of friends about us here at Happy Hour. The show is recorded live today at Wayfair on Ferret Street in Uptown New Orleans. Happy Hour is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com. Andrew Duhon is going to be back here next week in the interim. If you're looking for him, go to andrewduhon.com. He's on the road on the West Coast at the moment. On behalf of everybody around the table here at Wayfair and back at our office in INO Broadcasting, thank you so much for joining us. I'm Grant Morris. I'll see you back here next week for more Happy Hour.